0: We've got a great array of scripture texts set before us today. We have this story from the book of Kings, and uh, this has to do with the fact that the Assyrians uh, from about 700s and the 600s were the dominant power in the Middle East. And to this day, archaeologists uncover humongous monuments that were created by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were very powerful, and they spread their influence uh, very in, in a vastly wide dimension. And they actually were the ones that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And then they had it out for the southern uh, kingdom of Judah. And so this is the, the very moment where they're about to... Destroy Judah. They are poised to invade the land and to siege, set up siege works around Jerusalem and and take it over. But God wins the day. And He sends an angel and intervenes and stops that from taking place. And so, as it is with God's earthly Jerusalem, so also it is with God's heavenly Jerusalem. Okay? The earthly Jerusalem is just a symbol Of the heavenly Jerusalem. And as God protects the earthly Jerusalem, so also He surrounds and encompasses with His love the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is what we see in our psalm as we respond in the refrain God upholds His city forever. My brothers and sisters, by virtue of baptism, we belong to the city of God. And the heavenly Jerusalem is our destiny. We were created for that heavenly city, not for the earth. We live on the earth now, but we are destined for and called to the heavenly city. So we have to have that eternal uh, horizon uh, for our perspective on life. We've got to view everything in our lives with that eternal perspective in mind always aiming everything and ordering all the different events and the priorities of our lives towards that heavenly city. And uh, we are confident and uh, we have a sense of great assurance and security that God surrounds us and he protects us and he guides us along the path to that heavenly Jerusalem. But we learn in the gospel that the path to the heavenly Jerusalem is... Not necessarily easy. Okay, Jesus says that the narrow, the the path is difficult that leads to eternal life, and the gate is narrow. Okay, whereas the path that leads to destruction is easy and it's wide. Okay, now he says in the gospel, our Lord teaches us that uh, many go to destruction and few make it to that heavenly Jerusalem and are saved ultimately. And theologians have discussed this text for hundreds and hundreds of years, and I think the most prudent and sound interpretation of what our Lord is saying in the gospel uh, is as follows. It is not the case that we can know with certainty that more people are lost than are saved, Okay, So the question of the relative proportion of the people who make it to the heavenly Jerusalem and those who don't, what's the relative proportion? Is it more? Is it less? And I think the the best and soundest conclusion is to say that we do not know. We do not know. Even though our Lord says here in this passage that many enter the path of destruction and few enter the path of life, there are at least two Considerations that would, uh, uh, militate against any hasty conclusion as to the relative proportion of the saved and the lost. The first consideration would be the fact that Jesus is evidently speaking about adults. He's not speaking about children, okay? We know that as soon as a child is baptized, their soul is saved and guaranteed to uh, give them access to the city of God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so if you think of how many baptized infants have died in God's grace over the centuries, it's vast, it's immense, absolutely immense. I don't know, but I, mean, I would imagine there's probably more infants, baptized infants who have died than adults who have lived out the full course of their life over the course of the past two thousand years. I'd only imagine that. This is a guess of it. So our Lord is speaking about adults here. He's not He's not making his judgment call in reference to infants. That's the first consideration. The second consideration is that it very well could be the case that Jesus was speaking about the people of his day. Okay? And that he wasn't speaking about the full uh Gambit of the age of the church. The two thousand years that have expired from his days until our days. It very well could be the case that he wasn't speaking about that. That he was speaking about the people of his day. Okay? Because we know from other passages that our Lord says, that our Lord teaches, for example, when that he, when he founds his church, the holy Catholic church that is to spread throughout the whole world to eradicate idolatry, to lead all men and women throughout the world to the path of truth, uh, to to spread that light of the gospel everywhere, the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church. We know that from other sayings and teachings of our Lord. And the, the Catholic Church gives us the fullness of the means of salvation. A Catholic is more equipped to attain that heavenly city than any other Christian, than a Jewish person, person than, a, than a Muslim, than a pagan, by far, by far. We have so many helps. We have daily Mass. We have the Eucharist. Daily, if you put a little effort into it. <laughs> we have the Sacrament of Reconciliation. How many Catholics benefit from the ministry of a priest at the very last hours of their life? There are so many helps that he has given to us Catholics. And so at the end of the day, we cannot conclude uh, definitively that more people are lost than are saved. We don't know the relative proportion. And that's a good thing, because if we knew the relative proportion of the saved and the lost, of those who attain to the city of God and those who don't, you know, say, say our Lord said that 90% of people will be saved and 10% will not. We'd start looking to our left and we'd, we'd do a little... You know, calculation, we'd be like, okay, ten people, these nine, okay, I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm better than these nine people, so, okay. We would start comparing ourselves to others, and we'd rest on our laurels, and we would not put the effort forward, okay, to try to, uh, strive towards salvation. We would uh, go on easy street and become lazy. Conversely, if our Lord had said to us, well, it's the case that 90% of people are lost and only 10% of people are saved, we'd probably despair. We'd lose hope. We'd say, well, what chance is there for me? Okay, And that's not the purpose of our Lord in this passage. The purpose of our Lord in this passage is twofold, I believe, at least. First of all, he's saying, you have to put effort into your salvation. Salvation is not like rolling off a log, You know, it doesn't happen accidentally. You have to be intentional about it. Okay, I believe that's one thing our Lord is teaching here. The second thing I believe he's teaching here is saying to us that we can't always look around at others and say, well, hey, they do it, so it must be okay. Because our Lord is here saying to us that many people are going the wrong way. So we can't look to the example of just people in general. And say, well, you know, my level of morality, my level of holiness is okay because, you know, I'm just about as good as everybody else. Our Lord is teaching us not to do that here in this passage. More and more we come to see and understand that we need to look to heaven and we need to look to Jesus as our example for how we should live our lives. And not to, whatever, a, a head count, All right. So I believe that this is really what our Lord... Uh, wants us to take home today from this passage. My brothers and sisters, let us always look upwards to heaven. Let us never despair of our own salvation. Let us put efforts into it. Let's not compare ourselves to others. Let's always hold Jesus Christ as our supreme example before our eyes. And uh, let's trust our Lord and thank him that he surrounds his city and he protects and guides us and helps us along the path of salvation.